Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Take a minute or two and talk about that. No, not a good idea, is it? Well, I hope you're doing well. And I'm glad that you're here with us today as we open up the Word of God. Regardless of how you came in here today, please have this expectation that God has something for you. Not just information, but he actually has something to communicate to your soul that's going to change your life. That's going to change who you are. Change how you live. And it's going to be a gift. So come together today. We come together with that expectation. Hey, if you're joining us uh, from at home, we're so glad you're with us. We're in Nehemiah 5. So everybody grab your Bible. And if you don't have one, we've got some right in the pews. They're those big blue books. You can open up about a third of the way in, Nehemiah chapter 5. And as you're doing that, let me just catch us up. We've been walking through this series on Nehemiah, learning to build our lives on the promise of God. And there's so many correlations between what life was like then in risk and what life is like now. And so far, we've seen Nehemiah um, get a burden and a passion from the Lord. He's brought that up into patient prayer. That's become a picture or a vision for the future. That's transitioned into an action. God opens that door. He goes back to Jerusalem with a third wave of exiles, and he proceeds to build the wall around Jerusalem, wanting to see God's people with with God again in full worship, in spirit and in truth. And last week we saw <laughs> that obedience was met with opposition. Pop happens, right? Today we're going to see it again, but it's going to be wildly different. Because last week the opposition came externally, which that's not too surprising, is it? This opposition comes from internally. So it's very unexpected and you can feel the hurt. You can feel it in Nehemiah. So we're going to walk through that. And I want you to think through as we're reading this text, because I'm going to let the text kind of navigate us. I'm not going to pre-read it. We'll just walk through it together. I want you to think what it would have been like for Nehemiah to be disappointed over and over and over where every morning where you get up, you have something new that you've lost or some new expectation that has been broken. And how might you respond, especially if you were leading in that? Now, all of us are leaders, right? We all have things that God has given us to take responsibility for. So you're really no different in that. And, and I think I can say this without going into it again because we've talked about this so much, but seasons of the desert, seasons of wilderness, times that are tough, where, where really life is no longer a fun playground, how do you respond in that? Well, I know how I respond. I self-focus. My voice becomes the loudest voice in my life. That's actually normal. Was it bad? No, don't worry about whether it's good or bad right now. That's normal. We tend to self-focus during these seasons, but here's the what if. What if that actually catalyzes or energizes your feelings of anxiety, worthlessness, frustration? What if that, if self-focus actually does that? That wouldn't be good, would it? What if you're not made to actually look at life like that, what I can get from it? So let's walk through this. Let, let me take us to the Lord in prayer, and then we will check out Nehemiah chapter 5. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you don't leave us as scattered orphans. 
on your world. You don't leave us to figure out what to do and how to do it. You come and you walk among us, Lord. You lift us up. You encourage us. You bless us. You give us not just information, Lord, but food for our soul. So would you open up this precious word of God that we might behold you in all of your beauty. And we together, we together pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, you're a leader. Even if you're a kid, you're a leader. You have things in your life that you're responsible for. And how you initiate on that either brings fruit or it doesn't. So as we walk through this text, I want you to see three lenses to look through. One is you lead first by what you allow. A lot of times, what do you mean by that? Well, we'll get there. But it's not necessarily what you say or what you do or your policy, if you will. You lead by what you allow. Secondly, is you lead by what you reject. Now, this makes a little more sense. There's things that you need to push off and say, no, that's unacceptable. But many times that's hard because as a friend told me, you know, what is the life of a nail like? If you stick out like a nail, you get the what? Hammer. Hammer. Very good. Is that fun? Okay. You're like, no, it's not fun. Keep going. Get to the Bible. Um, so it's not. And then the, the last is we'll see uh, you lead by what you leverage, meaning this. The things that you have in life, how you use them um, is really just, it, it speaks, right? How you leverage your life. So let's jump right in. Chapter 5 of Nehemiah, verses 1 through 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There are also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now, our flesh is as of the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it's not in our power to help it for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So this is what Nehemiah wakes up to. We're on the wall, we're stationed, we're doing our thing, God's moving. And then some wives come up. Hey, God's blessing us in this covenant. We have kids, we have children, we're starving. And you came and you take our men and put them on the wall. Right? It just, that little bit more just made it too much. Hmm. So I want you to see this word outcry. It took me right back to Genesis 4. Remember the outcry in Genesis 4? Cain slays Abel. And Abel can't speak anymore, but what does the Lord say? Hey, Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. You're God. Oh, well, actually, his blood is crying out, is outcry to me. You know what that means? Oppression and injustice. You know what this should mean to Nehemiah? This is outrageous. Your wives are coming up and telling me that you and your kids are starving. What's going on? What's happening? 
So it speaks of injustice. Um, well, know this, when we abdicate our role in leadership, you know what happens? Those that are most vulnerable lose. This is why this wives are here, and this is why it shows the daughters going into slavery. Those that are most vulnerable in the covenant community, good grief, are suffering the greatest first. So what is the nature of this outcry? Let's look at what it is. First, it's in those who are landless. So those that have the least amount are the first group, right? We have heard it said, uh, with our sons and daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we don't die. So this is the people that are just have the least amount, but they have kids and families, and they're part of the family of God, and they're like, we just need to eat. Secondly, you see, there's people that are a little better off, they have land, but they still need to get grain. So there's not enough there. So they're still starving. And what's happening is they are mortgaging their fields within the community to get money just to sustain themselves. So do you know what a mortgage is? It's when you take something that you own, that you have title to, and you put it up as collateral and you get something for it. They were just getting grain. You know what happens if you don't make good on that note? They take all that property from you. And then what are you gonna support your family with? Now, this was probably all happening in about the summer of 445 BC. It was, the work on the wall started in the summer, June or July, and they finished it in September. So it's right during harvest season. It was the worst time possible to leverage your land. And then you have the next group of people that were probably the best well-off. They, they were in the chips a little bit. They had some assets. So it's not about us you know, surviving. We got grain, but because of the amount of assets we have, we can't pay our taxes on it. And now Persia was known for being very uh, polytheistic, and you could worship anything, but man, they would tax you to death. So they're like, we can't pay the taxes to Persia or even like the local taxes you guys are taxing us with within the household of Israel. So they're trying to borrow money to get that done. Oh, wow. Friends, let, let's do a hard stop here. There's a way that the house of Israel is looking at the covenant of God and the blessings of the covenant. They are seeing it as a place to get what they need. And guess what? Those that have power are taking. Now, let's bring that here for a minute. We as American Christians, we many times see the church as what? A place to get religious goods and services. Now, we know the gospel creates a family, don't we? And we know in that family there should be generous hospitality. There should be real, warm, loving, authentic relationships. You're not going to be everybody's best friend. That doesn't even work in your own family. But it's a real family, yes? But many times we approach it as a place to get what we need, and the minute we don't get what we need, we're out, man. I ain't got time for that. So this was happening in extreme fashion right here in Jerusalem as they were trying to reestablish yourselves in Jerusalem under God's blessing. Think of it this way. This is like, does, does everybody remember how we used to take pictures and then you would get a negative roll? The photo negative, right? If you're under 40, you're like, huh? So what the negative was is we would take it, we would send it to Walgreens or something, and they would come back the next day, and they'd, they'd, um, they'd deliver it to you, and it's like a picture. But the negative, everything was backwards. 
Anything in the, in, the, in the photo that was dark became light in the negative, and anything that was light in the negative became really dark. So it looked really freaky and kind of cool, and kids like to look at it. This was what was happening. Everything that the law had designed to do, they were taking advantage of, and the weakest and the most vulnerable in the community were getting just destroyed. The kids, the daughters were enslaved. The wives had to speak up. Total abdication of leadership in the household of God. So how are we like that? Well, this is a tough time, friends. Whose voice do you hear most clearly in the desert, in the wilderness? Whose is it? Probably your own. Right? When we're experiencing pain, when we're experiencing a cascade of broken expectations, when my frustrations are just brimming over, when I'm so tired of hearing what's not going to happen or what is happening, your voice becomes the loudest in the desert. Your pain becomes most relevant. Your frustrations and everything else gets blinded. And pretty soon, you just start living to take because I'm tired of losing. So you lead by what you allow. Moving on. Let's go to the next section. This will be picking up in verse 6. Here we go. So think of this is how did Nehemiah respond to what he just heard about how things are going in the community? Verse 6. I was very angry. First time he's ever described himself in the book like that. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are extracting interest each from his brother. He went to them personally. Then he went to everybody, and I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell them, that you may sell them to us. In other words, God's been redeeming his people out of slavery and you're taking advantage of the weakest and you're selling them back right in the house of God. They were silent and they could not find a word to say. That's good. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Do you know what, you know what he didn't say? You're not good. There's a pro tip there, right? You don't encourage repentance when you, right, the thing that you're doing is not good, probably because he saw that they received it. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our Lord to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this extracting of interest. Return to them this very day immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Give it back now. Don't pray about it. Don't think it. Get it done now. That's how repentance works. We will do as you say. And I called the priests, and I made them swear to do as they had promised. And he calls leadership in. I also took out of the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake you out, shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So he may be shaken out and emptied the way you've emptied people that are in need. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. So, um, one of my favorite professors in seminary, Dr. Jean, I'll put him on blast. Love that dude. You'd never know he was a pastor and a seminarian. 
he's just a real dude. And I remember in his class once, he's teaching Greek, and he's like, he pastors, so he always has a story, right? He's like, hey, man, you know what? Here's what I found in pastoring. What makes a person really mad, just makes their blood boil, tells you a lot about that person. At first, I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm writing it down, right, trying to be a good student. I'm like, I'll say that in a sermon someday. <laughs> and then I realized what he said kind of made me irritated. I'm like, wait, that actually made me mad that you said that. And now I need to know why. So, but, but he's right. The thing that makes your blood boil says something about what you value and how you value it. So Nehemiah here is very angry. And he actually gives us a good picture of what Ephesians 4.26 is getting at, where it says, be angry and do not sin. Now, most of the times, when you're really overflowing with anger, you're sinning. When people say I have righteous anger, I usually just say, no, you don't. Even, for, even when they don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but you almost never do. But there, you're right, there's a righteous anger. There's, there's a, he, he's feeling that, and I want you to watch what he does. Well, first of all, what makes you angry? Think about that. Here's what makes my blood boil. When you're waiting patiently to park, and everybody sees it, and this person comes up and takes your spot, right? Do you lose it? Or when you're watching your favorite movie and it starts to buffer and it won't stop no matter what you do and you're screaming at Verizon and you're doing, that's what makes me angry. That's weird. What about politics? Politics make you angry? Oh, I don't know, we stormed the Capitol. We beat everybody up on social media. Yeah, that makes me angry, okay. Maybe we should align our anger with what makes the Spirit of God angry. That's a good start, and then we do it humbly. I want you to note something. What does Nehemiah do with his anger? Right off the bat. He's, he's probably so much more angry than he allows on. He steps back, and it says he takes counsel with himself. He doesn't act on it right away. He doesn't just pop. He doesn't pout. They're both angry. He takes counsel with himself. Now, this is common grace. Psychologists call this metacognition. In other words, you're an observer of your own feelings because we've been discipled to think that our feelings are sacred. And that if we have a feeling, you better not cross it. It's right. And no, no, 2,500 years ago, God's telling his people, Think it through. Think about your feelings before you act on your feelings. Observe them. Are they right? Are they reasonable? How should you go forward in this? This is very instructive, friend, because he doesn't use the tools of injustice and oppression to actually meet the issue of injustice and oppression in his community. He takes counsel. But then he gets busy, doesn't he? So what does he reject? He rejects their actions as acceptable in the household of God, and he does not make any allowance whatsoever. And he's angry. I mean, he, he left a really good job for this, right? He really believed this was what God had called him to do. So this is a, he's very clear about the issue. Friends, if you can't, you know, this is repentance. He's not just mad, like, I, I need to not be mad at you. No, he's like, I'm gonna tell you very clearly what you've done and why that's a problem. Number one, you're exacting interest from your own people. Now, interest in itself, oh boy, I shouldn't say this, isn't necessarily a sin unless you're a credit card. But 
God is very clear. Deuteronomy 23, 19. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. So this is the civil code for Israel. This is how to apply the Ten Commandments, love God and love others. It's like you cannot make profit off of the need of your brothers and sisters. Like that cannot happen in my house. And he goes on in Deuteronomy 15. And he says this in verse 4. There will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land. Verse 2. He shall not exact of it of his neighbor, no interest, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Even if you lent something to someone, after seven years, it's done. The loan's over. It's the Sabbath. Because God delivered you from bondage. Never forget that. If you're making profit off of your family, you're not understanding what it means to being belonging to the living God. You're treating your brothers and sisters like enemies who they could charge interest to. And you're cheapening God's grace, right? I mean, Nehemiah says that. You're making God's name a laughingstock in Palestine. He looks just like all the other gods but he isn't. Israel can't be a household of royal priests, right, that are, are declaring the glories of the living God. You're treating one another like this. So he tells them to return this day, 511, verse 11, get it done right now. That's how repentance works. Don't, there's no such thing as I'm working on that. Well, I know practically there is, but repentance isn't something that you think through. Once you feel it and see it in God's word, you do it. It ain't gonna be perfect. You might have to do it every day for a long time, but it's abandoning that sin and embracing what God has for you. And for us, that's Christ, right? And here's what I do know about repentance. It has like, it's like an egg timer. You guys even have an egg timer anymore? Do you know what I'm talking about? You, <laughs> repentance does that. When you see sin in your life, you might as well just start an egg timer because if you don't seriously abandon it and repent and move on it, once that bell hits, you're done. It's like, well, you know, I mean, is it really that big of a deal? It's just a little bit of interest. So he calls them to repentance right off the bat, and he rejects blame shifting. This is so good. It's awkward in 5.10 because it says, um, verse 10, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon. Okay, so is Nehemiah doing this too? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really say. Is he just identifying with the people and saying, let us stop? Or is he getting in on that a little bit? He doesn't blame shift. He, do, he calls people to repentance. And the people say, amen. Do you guys know what amen means? We say it a lot, don't we? Anybody? What does it mean? So be it. We're 100% with you. Right? And the, the community praised God when Nehemiah called this out. Uh, I'm going to give you permission to say amen during a sermon. You can say that. It's okay. Right? All right. Say amen. We're with you 100%. So this is the issue. Now, what did Nehemiah do? He, once he calls the community to repentance, he gives a log of what it looks like to leverage your life for God's glory. Now, does everybody know what leverage is? 
Do you know what a seesaw is? Kids, you ever been at a park? Do you know how a seesaw works? You're sitting on one end of it, and leverage would be you come over to the other end of your friend's seesaw, and you get on it, or you push it, and you're lifting the other person up. This is the picture that Nehemiah gives us of leverage. He's using what he has to lift up, to live, to serve others. And he's not doing this in an arrogant way. He's like, no, this is what it looks like to fear God and not comfort. This is what it looks like to fear God and not fear losing control. This is what it looks like to fear God. And not just, this is not just trembling at his glory. This is because you know he loves you and he's worthy and he's going to keep his word. So let's jump in there. Verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, never lost the mission, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for work. In other words, my posse of leadership was on the wall with you guys. No privilege. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from other nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my... At my now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. And then he ends with, hey, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. So you lead by what you leverage in your life. What did Nehemiah leverage? He leveraged his position. He was rightfully the governor. He was installed by Persia. He could have had an allowance taken from the local community. Because, right? You need a paycheck. But, he, but he's like, no. It's too much for them. I'll be good. So he used his position as leverage to bless them. Secondly, he uses his privilege. Not only is he the governor, but he has certain rights that he could take advantage of. For instance, when he needs to entertain other leaders and people, people traveling through from other nations, he could pull on the people to serve and to, to give him money to do that. He uses his privilege to bless them. He actually, I mean, look at that. Ox, sheep, think, think about over a decade. Wine of every kind. I want to be Nehemiah's friend. Do you have a friend like Nehemiah? They just won't stop blessing. And his power, right? He serves them at his table instead of asking the locals to serve him. Friends, this is the heart of God's law. This is the heart of the Ten Commandments. You see Jesus say as much in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. He understands it. And listen to his reasoning. Why did Nehemiah do this? Because he was a better leader? I don't know. Because he'd read an awesome book that told him how to lead like this? I mean, Persia had good libraries. Because he understood social justice better? 
No, he feared God. He was motivated by the love and the fear of the living God who he knew loved him and his people. Does that sound like someone like you? Does that sound like somebody? Does it feel like Nehemiah was getting precepted by somebody else? Does it feel like Nehemiah's life was following the commands of somebody you know well, Jesus? Do you remember Jesus when I think it was James and John's mom said, hey, can they be in your kingdom like right and left hand? He's like, well, I don't, maybe, but here's how greatness works in my kingdom. Right? If you want to be the greatest, you're going to be the slave of all. Like, oh, okay, let me hold on that then. Let me think that through. Let me pray about it. That's how greatness works in his kingdom. So what did Jesus leverage? Well, let's go back to Luke, or go to Luke. When Jesus is beginning his ministry and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61 in the synagogue. And he says, the spirit of the Lord, this is Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, that's made me the Christ, to proclaim good news to the poor. Oh, he's giving them good news, not taking from them. He's proclaiming liberty to the captives, not putting back people into bondage, not beating them to submission, even though he's the rightful king. He's giving them sight to see, and he's proclaiming the year of liberty is here. The Sabbath is here. Rest in me. So Jesus leverages everything that he has, though he was rich, he became poor, that we might be just insanely rich in him. This is the king that we follow. Nehemiah was a small shadow of that. And he, and he was trying to work out God's heart among God's people. And so he pushes this and he tries. And he tries to leverage everything he has because Jesus has made us wealthy. He's dealt with our sin. He's dealt with our wandering hearts. He's on station, exalted king, and he's not beating you into submission. He's loving you and calling you to repentance, saying, hey, rest in me. Take my yoke. It's easy. So let's land this. What does God have for you? Well, how are you doing really? I don't think there's a lot of people that are doing great. Maybe instead of measuring your wellness by how you're feeling, let's measure our wellness based on how those in our life are doing. Because here's what I do know. God's desire for this season in the wilderness is that this heat would burn out our tendency towards self-focus and teach us how to get in on the privilege of lifting up others, loving and serving them with everything that we have, leveraging everything that we have to do that. So that's what God has for you, right? This is what God has for you. Leverage everything that you have in your life or just leverage your life to love and serve others. That's it. Leverage your life. What you have, well, I don't have much. We have the glory of God and that's pretty weighty. You've got things, leverage what you've got for God, for loving others, for serving them. So I'm gonna give you just a couple ways you can do that. One is just listen up. Let's just take it from the text. How do you leverage your life to love and serve others? Get your radar up. The people that are suffering the most, you're probably not gonna hear from. So learn to listen. Maybe you need to ask some questions from people you haven't seen from a while. Listen, friend, 
Listen, nobody's gonna listen like you because you understand mercy. So listen, second, what do you wanna do? Just reduce the burden. Just help them out. Just help people out. Just, just help them out. Like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. It's in God's heart. Listen, see where the need is, reduce the burden, help them out. You're like, well, I don't even know where to do that. I will give you a place to start. Who said that? I'll give you a place to start. Go to our website, porticoarlington.org. Go to the tab that says connect, hit it. There's a thing that says serve Arlington because we have three partners in ministry in our church and they were designed to do this. The first one is Assist Pregnancy Center. So one of the most vulnerable voices in our culture would be those children that have no choice, right? That aren't born. They get you know, killed before that happens. That's a voice that's never gonna be heard. And those moms and those dads who are there's a pregnancy, it wasn't wanted, and everything in culture says, get out, keep it silent, get rid of it. We don't want that. That's a lonely place to be. So go there and listen to the testimonies on their website. We have links to it, right? Secondly, uh, here's something you can do. Um, go to our website right there, and we have our, our second partner is Arlington Bridge Builders. And they're great because this season of life has affected different segments of society very different. And it's put those who are vulnerable and their kids at deep risk. So Arlington Bridge Builders seeks to get on, on like just get them grain. It's just get them some grain and get in on that. Listen to their voice. And the last one is Project Belong. And it's, it's, hey, these are kids in our community that are at risk and we can help foster parents. We can actually foster, we can get in on adoption and, and all these things. And we can do this as a church. We can leverage what we have. So just let's listen to those voices. Go there today and listen to what they have to say and let the Lord lead, right? Leverage your life to love others. This is what God is calling us to. Man, this is a privilege and this is joy, friends. And it's going to pull us out and into where God wants us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, we praise you. We pray because uh, we, are, we are recipients of all of this grace that we see in your word, Lord. You have gathered us as scattered orphans. You have put us in your family. You have fed us. You have taught us. You have loved us. And you don't give up. And your burden is light, Jesus. And so I pray that we would feel that, we would feel your love, we would understand what that means, and it would spill out of our lives. Help us, Jesus, as we seek to leverage our lives, to love and to serve and to lift up others, God. And we pray this in your glorious name. Amen.